Hi, and welcome to Cameron's Baptist Church Sermons Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. How many of you have read through the Psalms? Have read all Psalms at least once in your lifetime? I'm sure you have probably um, been here and there, one Psalm here, one Psalm there. This particular Psalm, uh, actually we can see in many of the Psalms, uh, not only a kind of a day-to-day expression or testimony or witnessing of what was going on in the lives of individuals and also in the lives of the people of God in those times. And we can see some poetry, we can see a lot of different circumstances in the Psalms. And as I said, the psalm is divided in five books, the whole 150 psalms. Each one of them related to one of the book of the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Edith, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, <clears throat> but this psalm is a psalm that reveals something wonderful about the Messiah, but also tells that God will judge the wicked. So let's read the psalm. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. And celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son. And he will be. Or he will be angry. And your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. And we bless you, Lord, for your word. And ask that your word speak to us this morning. And warn us and wake us up for the judgment to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 2 talks about the reign of God's anointed one. It's clearly 
a revelation of that this is a messianic psalm. It talks about Christ Jesus. And you will probably have read in the New Testament quotation from this psalm. Can anyone find where it is? Acts chapter 2. We'll get to that later on. But others as well. But he does not deal only with the divine monarchy, but also speaks of the Davidic reign as pointing to the superior and eternal reign of the Messiah, using it as a uh, um, um, point of view. Originally, Psalm 2 does not have any title that indicates its authorship, but... Um, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, and chapter 17, verse 5, Acts chapter 4, 25 to 27, 13, 33, Romans 1, 4, and Hebrews 1, 5, and 5, 5, tells exactly who the author of the psalm is. And especially when Peter said about David saying that, uh, about Jesus. We're gonna, gonna look at it in, in a moment, but I'm just giving you a, just a, a summary. Um, I'm gonna give you a lot outline of the sermon, uh, sorry, uh, of, of Psalm, which is actually uh, the outline of the sermon. Uh, we will see on verse one to three, and the human rebellion against God and his anointed one. And then the Lord's response to the rebellion of the wicked and the established. The establishment of the messianic king, which is verse 4 to 6. And then we'll see the divine government or the divine kingdom uh, in verse 7 to 9. And then in verse 10 to 12, we'll see the divine government, but also human responsibility before divine sovereignty. So that divine government was a, was a repeated mistake by myself when I did the PowerPoint. But that should go there. So, Psalm 1, or Psalm 2, verse 1 to 3, the rebellions of the wicked nations against God and His anointed. You know, the, as has been said, this is in a, in a real psalm that has traditionally been interpreted in a messianic way. So the psalmist begins by questioning the the mutiny of the wicked or what they plot against the anointed one, the people of God as well. So the expression, the, the, this expression, uh, 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 when he talks about the Gentiles, he says, why are the Gentiles angry? Or why nations conspire and people plot in vain? There is a, word, there is a translation who used the word Gentiles. And so the expression here, enraged the Gentiles, literally means that the nations crowd together in a tumultuous, in a, in a tumultuous way, a, a, a manner, or like a, a, a gang, and just to do something against the people of God and His anointed one. And we see that today, we, we see that in our days. We see people now getting together in order to redefine the Bible, redefine sin, redefine marriage, 
redefine many other things. Why? Because they want, they say what the, the, the people of God is doing or what the Bible says, it, they, they come put up to it. They cannot take it on anymore. So the ultimate motive we can see of all sinful imagination and planning is revealed right in verse 2. But next to the biblical text exposes the pathetic uh, 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 folly of human efforts to the people imagine vain things. And this means that his or this fallen nature, man only plans and imagines, uh, imaginations are empty, worthless. It does not contribute to the good of humanity. They're trying to change the whole course of, of how the, 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 especially the, the principles that we have and the values or we have that God has given us for our families and so on. But the psalmist David says that the authorities rise up and conspire against the Lord and his anointed one. Even in their minds, seared by sin, men see God's care as a judgment. For them, the, Lord, the Lord's bonds of love are kind of a shackle. It's something that they can't bury. They, they said, I'm, I'm imprisoned by God's love. I want, I want you to read with me Jeremiah chapter 5. Some, anyone could just uh, open your Bible and, and read for me Jeremiah 5 verse 5. And then Hosea 11 verse 4. Can I just read again? Let's give you some sound. Okay. That's number two again. Yes, thank you. Jeremiah 5. 5-5. So I will go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and turned off the bonds. Yes, they, they think that the love of God and the precepts of God are kind of a yoke. Hosea 11. I'll give it to you. Don't read in Japanese because I can't understand. <laughs> Hosea 11 verse, verse 4. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stopped and I stooped and fed them. You see, but they, they think, as verse 3 says, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. I don't know, some people think that uh, the, 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 the principles and the values of the word of God are some kind of a burden to them are a burden for those who do not love the Lord or don't want to live a life that is worth living for Him. Because of their sinful nature, they will just shake it off and they will go astray like they have no breaks. You know in Romans chapter 1 when God says that uh, um, 
he will deliver them to themselves or have delivered them to themselves to commit all sort of immorality. And in other words, literally, when I read this passage, I see like it's a kind as a life of somebody who deliberately go against God's principles are those lives similar to a track, heavy loaded track, downhill, with no brakes, and, and, and it speeds all the time because the, the, the gravity would just, that's the, the course of, of natural things. And then there is a big rock right down the bottom. That's exactly what God has done in Romans chapter 1. And when he says that um, God will, you know, the wrath of God is when God takes the, the boundaries. And you want to go, just go. You know when you, when you, I used to, um, my wife used to warn Bella about the radiator. Bella, don't put your hands there. She was, she was, oh, she was stubborn. I don't know anymore, but maybe. Um, she always there went to say, Bella, don't. And then she, okay, do it. Once she tapped the radiator and it was hot and she learned the lesson that she could not do it anymore. She was warned so many times, but she insisted in touching the radiator. The word translated, when the people come in against the anointed one, the, the word translated anointed one, as we know in Hebrew, is the word for Messiah. Although in that context, the Lord's anointed one was an immediate, an immediate reference to David, or, or, or to the, the, the Davidic king, consecrated and commissioned by God, it is in, in its final and absolute sense, it was directed reference to Jesus Christ. The anointed one of God, foretold by the house of David. So the early church understood this and applied Psalm 2 in their prayer in time of persecution. So now we're going to read Acts chapter 4, verse 25. And verse 26. Go on. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. You see, you remember the prayer in this particular um, chapter? And they said, they said, Lord, they are coming against you, not us. But they used this psalm as a prayer. Why the nation now rage against your anointed one, against the people of God? Say, Lord, all, all we ask you that you give us boldness and strength as we proclaim this powerful message. Brothers and sisters, we are not living in a, in a different world than that time. The MO is the same. The devil does the same. And he uses people. To persecute other people. Because the devil on its own, he can't do anything. I, I said this many times. The devil does not even have a, a bicycle to, to ride on. 
For him to do, to go somewhere, he needs a ride. And there are a lot of Christians, unfortunately, giving a ride to the devil. Or giving the devil a ride. And then he's doing some things that, you know, you will, you, they, they do not perceive they're being used. So that is why they prayed for boldness from God to continue to proclaim the good news of the gospel. When we pray like this, let me tell you, God always will answer our prayers. The Lord responds to the rebellion of the wicked. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. You know, between verse 4 and 6, it records here God's reaction to human rebellion. Do you think God would just stay there and do nothing? Why? Sometimes we think that, oh, what, what God is doing, by the way, um, Allowing the world to go the way it is going. We just heard recently a guy who was, was trying uh, asylum some places. He couldn't get uh, asylum either there and in France. And then he went around with a knife and stabbed kids and people. And then he said, well, where is God? Where, where was God in this? I tell you, God will allow human beings to do all these stupid things that they continue to do until they recognize that God is Lord and King. Because we have free will. God will not take that free will from us. And our children will suffer because of ourselves. Our children will suffer because of our uh, rebellion against God. It's nothing to do with God. God is, is where He always been on the throne in control of everything. And I tell you, if it wasn't for God, this world would be gone by then. Consumed by all these nasty things that you see around. But the psalmist says that God mocks wicked men. That He is there. He despises them. Then the Lord pours out his holy wrath on them, leading them into confusion. And apart from every human conspiracy, the Lord constitutes the messianic king. In spite of all the threats against to kill the baby Jesus, all the threats to go and try to kill him many times, God have established his kingdom and his king over all. It's on the holy mount of Zion, he says. You know, the messianic king who finds his final fulfillment in Christ was prefigured by the, the, the Davidic monarchy enthroned in Jerusalem. Mount Zion, quoted in this verse, refers to the, to the hill uh, north of Jerusalem that, that housed the temple. I don't know if, you, if you're aware of that. Those who've been in Jerusalem may, may have seen that. I haven't been there yet. You know, sometimes in the biblical passage, the whole city of Jerusalem is called Zion. In biblical symbolism, often earthly Zion prefigures heavenly Zion. But let me tell you something. All God does is use it figuratively in order to show what the reality is. 
Let me tell you, God has no favored people. Because he died for everybody. Otherwise, he would have died only for certain kind of people. And there are all these, these preachers of, of that, um, um, the Jewish people are too special. And the Jerusalem is a too special city. What we need to see in the scripture is the relation to the kingdom of heaven. To the city that comes from God. All these are figurative. Because he extended his love to everybody. So we, we have to see God has no favorite. The favorite people of God are those who have recognized and accepted are the ones who kiss his son. All right, and the one who bowed down to Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives and said, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, those who have received the Holy Spirit of God, the seal of God. In those days, a Jew will come before God. A Brazilian will come before God. An English will come before God. A Sri Lankan, a Jamaican will come before God. A Chinese and a Japanese will come before God. And they will look at the seal in their lives. If there is no Holy Spirit in them, you said, away from me because I do not know you. It's not me who says, this is the word of God who says that. We want to continue our task and cry out in a loud voice, Thy kingdom come, O God, and let your will be done. And that's why he decided to establish his government, his divine kingdom, not only over us, but over everybody. And people think they're still ruling. Some nations still thinking they are the most powerful nation in the world. Now the dispute, is that the United States, is that China? I tell you, the most powerful nation in the world is the divine nation of God, where the king rules, the true king, the true and only, the, only, the one and only king. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. These are the word, the translation, and I think it's in, in the uh, King James. He says, you are my begotten son. Do you know what this begotten means? Begotten son means he wasn't born. It didn't come to exist. Already existed. And I said this many times, and when, especially when he, come, when he talks about God. And people say, God exists. They say, no, God doesn't exist. God doesn't exist, people. The Bible says, God is. Whatever existed was created. Whatever existed was created. God has not been created. He's got no beginning. He is God. These verses reflect the Davidic covenant recorded in, in, first, in, in sec, actually 2 Samuel if I'm not mistaken. As the New Testament interprets his, you know, the, this passage, the divine speech related in these verses that was, that was addressed to the Son of God and the witness by David as a temporal king commissioned by the Lord before his people. And therefore, in, in the full sense, this passage from Psalm 2 imprints the relationship of the divine person of the Trinity. You know, Paul 
and the writer of Hebrew, I'm not saying Paul was the writer of Hebrew, Paul and the writer of Hebrew, apply this statement as a reference to the birth, work, and resurrection of Christ. So let's read Acts chapter 13, verse 33-34. Whoever finds it, as you used to do in the boys' brigade, let's see who finds first. Yeah, Acts chapter 13, verse 33-34. I wanted to see if people find quicker with the with the paper Bible rather than your device. Come on, read it, please. Go on. Go on, Bella. Just whoever finds it. If you found it first, just do it. God has fulfilled this for us their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. You see Paul making a reference to the psalm too? He got, it says you are my son, you are my begotten. Now, Hebrew chapter 1, verse 5 to 6. See, wouldn't it be God? So Jesus is God because God says, let all angels worship him. And God himself says, only one worthy of praise and adoration is God. So, so this means that this divine declaration speaks not only of the earthly offsprings of the house of David, but of the son of God, the great son of David. So this statement ends by illustrating the, the, the fragility or the frailty of human power in the face of the divine sovereignty. No one is able to resist the subduing power of the king of kings. It says, ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Will you break them with a rod of iron? You will dash them to pieces like pottery. With a rod of iron, he rules in tears the nations apart like potter's vessel. You know, the word rod translate, translates a, a Hebrew term used to designate both. Um, not only the rod of a sh- that the shepherd uses, to lead his flock, but also with a scepter that a king, a scepter that the king uses to rule on his throne. That's, it's the same word. Because the Bible says, is with the rod of a shepherd, I will rule my people. And I will deliver my people. Is used by a shepherd to lead his flock, and the scepter used by a king to rule his people. Think about that, Psalm 23 as well. 
your rod. It is also interesting to note the contrast between this statement and human behavior recorded in the previous verse. You know, these contrasts reveals very clearly that uh, the plans of the powerful of the earth are nothing but delusions that can never thwart the divine purpose, can never frustrate God's plan. God's eternal decree are so certain and real that their proclamation nullifies any human conspiracy. You know those people who are the prophets of calamity, who says this will happen, that will happen, and then therefore there are a lot of prophecy in these days talking about the ends of times and the, the catastrophes that is about to come. We already know what is in the scripture. We don't need a prophet to reveal what is already there. Okay, may if possible, God will give to somebody a specific word about a specific time. A moment that needs to be um, looked at. But there is nothing new that people say, I have a revelation from God. I don't know why many Christians are so concerned about the statements of the wicked or even Satanists, communists or atheists. When, when they talk against the word of God, people say, well, the Pope said he's going to change the Bible. He can change the Bible, his Bible, whatever he wants. He can write whatever he wants to write. To write. Let me tell you, the word of God is spoken. And when he said, let there be light, let me tell you, where is light? You see, still here, because God said so. Let God, he said, that I mean, he's not, he's not said only, he's not, but he keeps saying. In other words, he keeps sustaining light. Let there be light. So it doesn't matter what people say. Even I, I, I found some, awkward, some Christians or, or people who call themselves Christian. Uh, we say, oh, I don't know why God has allowed this to happen to me. You know, I think uh, uh, God has, has been punishing me. Oh, this is awful. And I don't really, I don't even know if there is a God. Or even keep blaspheming against God. Because oh, the only one thing is because the, the, the consequences of their rebellion, the consequences of their sins will harden their hearts if they do not recognize that they need forgiveness. They need repentance to get forgiveness. Because without their forgiveness, you, the, the person was growing bitter. We're going to grow bitter and bitter until there is a time. The heart will be so hardened that the only way to God to do it, it may be something very drastic. You see, Jeremiah, he, he lamented. But even though in his laments, what did he say? He always said he glorified God. He never blamed God for anything. Even he was he was doing right. Okay, can somebody like Jeremiah be thrown into a into into a, a ditch or or, or, or a cistern, whatever it is, be there for telling the truth? Tell the truth, and it would slap him straight away. He was beaten up because he was telling the truth. He said, I will not change the truth, I have to say, because he would not be able to change the truth that he received from God and God told him to say. 
Don't you, is it God a, 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 a um, masochist or sadic God or whatever it is who will allow his children to suffer or want their children to, 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 to suffer? No. But even though Jeremiah didn't say anything, Job, what Job did, did he curse God? Imagine one day he's got so, so much bad news. Oh, his, oh, his children died. Oh, his fortune was gone. In any circumstance, did he blame God for, for the calamity? Did he? But because, oh, you know, it was nice. The weather was nice. Now we see he's going. That's England. Oh, the weather is so horrible today. Oh, I feel bad. Come on. How are we doing, brother? Not too bad. So that means you're bad. When you say not too bad, because you're bad. Okay, you don't have to pretend that you're not well. But say, okay, listen, I, I'm not well. But because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Right? That's how attitude should be. So I don't know why these Christians keep blaspheming or, 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 or speaking against God. Come on, you have walked into that problem yourself. The reason why you are coming out of that, that trouble, that problem, is because the, the God's mercy has been renewed over you. Otherwise you have been there now. Or wouldn't come back from that. You know, God doesn't need you to defend him. Trust me. Don't worry about what people say about God. Worry about what God thinks of you. Alright? Because what people think about you doesn't really matter. Not before God. The responsibility to keep this alive in the minds and the hearts of our children is ours. I was interesting. I was at the back on the worship time. I was clapping. And Jerome was there in his mom's lap. And he was looking at me and he was clapping as well. I told you, you know, children, they do not learn by concept. They learn by example. He saw me clapping. He was clapping. I stopped clapping. He stopped clapping. And I tried again and then I, I continued clapping. He was clapping. You know, interestingly, what we see now is human responsibility before divine sovereignty. How many of you know that God is sovereign? How many of you have experienced the sovereignty of God? Can you declare that He's sovereign? Can you say amen to that? So we have a responsibility towards it then. Now, therefore, you kings... Be wise. Be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry. And your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. You see this? That's why I put a watch there. In a moment, in the blink of an eye, God can say to Jesus, it's now. 
Imagine if we're here and Christ returns. What will we do? Some of you, please don't. Not, not yet. But what if he does? See? But his wrath can flare up in a moment. So God is a loving God. He's a very patient God. But don't mess with God. Don't take for granted his grace. Don't take for granted his loving kindness. Don't. Let us not do that. Interestingly, Psalm 2 does not end with the record of the immediate outpouring of God's wrath on the unrepentant. We don't see that at the end of Psalm. So we like next chapter. So there is a next season. Yeah. Season finale. Instead, he ends by highlighting human responsibility and indicating what should be the sensible reaction on the part of men to the Lord's sovereignty. If you know somebody, let's say somebody comes to you, said, okay, listen, I'm going through some difficult situation at the moment. And, you know, I, I maybe have, let's say, have a problem with some legal matters, okay? And then you know somebody who is able, capable. You know a very good lawyer who comes to come Rose. <laughs> so then it's exactly on the, on the, on the same area that you have, you need. I'm just using cameras, just joking. But, and then you know this lawyer that the rates of his, uh, uh, um, Winning cases is, 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 is high. So then what are you going to do? You're going to um, refer that person to that lawyer, right? And then when this lawyer comes, you explain to, to, to this lawyer your situation. He looks at you and said, that's very simple. That's very simple. And then in one there you say, well, let's do this, do this, and then you're done. And then you go away excited and you, you go to court and your case is either dismissed or you win the case, whatever it is. And then what are you going to do? Are you going to tell about this lawyer to other people the same circumstances, situation? Or are you going to shut up? You're going to tell everybody, right? Okay, if you know God is sovereignty, why have you kept so quiet then? Have you come to him for your problems? Have you solved your problem? Have you come to him for salvation? Has he saved you? So why don't you tell everybody then? Why don't you tell somebody who needs it? Have you been healed by him? Why don't you tell somebody about it? There is a responsibility on our shoulders. We that proclaim to be the one who served the true living God, the sovereign God, the one is over all, above all, have all the power, that his name, there is no name above his name, that there is power in the name of Jesus, there is power in the blood of Jesus. Why don't you tell somebody about that? 
It's our responsibility to do so. In this sense, the psalmist points out five recommendations that make those who obey them very blessed. Let me see if I can get that to you. First one is be wise. Be wise. That's the verse. Right? Verse 10, therefore you kings be wise. Second one, be warned. The other one is serve the Lord with fear. Let me just comment a little bit on these things here. You know, this is, this is an expression, especially the expression of kiss the son of God. Uh, what was it? Yeah, celebrate his rule with fear. Is there another one? Yeah, kiss his son. So we know that be wise is to know what to do with the knowledge that you've got. Now that you know that God is sovereign, that he saves, be wise. Not only keep it to yourself, but tell everybody. Be warned, if you don't do it, you have a great responsibility. Serve the Lord with fear. Although this psalm is talking to the rulers, it's talking to us. Because we rule with him. We reign with him. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice in him with trembling. In other words, rejoice in him. Don't take his grace for granted. Kiss the son so that you will not be angry and perish on the way. So I said this expression that refers to an act that symbolizes submission and faithfulness. That's what he means. Kiss his son. These recommendations express the grace and mercy of the Lord. So however, God's justice would not let human sinfulness go unpunished. That's a fact. Oh, God is a God of love. Yes, he is. He is indeed. But because he is righteous, our sins cannot go unpunished. And there is a difference here between his, our sins go unpunished. And how many of you sin? How many of you? How many of you here sin? Make mistakes. I'm the first one to raise my hands. Eh? So that means, but we have a hope, don't we? Our hope is in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. When He comes with the when the woman <clears throat> caught in adultery, I brought to Him. At the end of the story, whatever, just leaving aside um, all the, the other um, references here to the scribes and trying to, to catch Jesus in one sleeper here, whatever it is. But let's look at the end when he says, where is your accusers? They're not here, Lord. I said, I, I don't condemn you either. But then he tells her, Go and sin no more. The Bible says in John, I think it's First John 5, if I'm not mistaken, that those who are born of God, 
have the seed of God or the DNA of God does not live in sin. What, what does it mean live in sin? It means in the practice of sin. What it does is, is every time you make a mistake or you sin, you feel that you've done wrong. Because not your style anymore. <clears throat> you don't go around cursing anymore. Swearing anymore. You have changed your vocabulary. You have changed the style of your life. Now you live like the Son of God. You are being helped and blessed by the Holy Spirit of God to go and live a life like Christ. So every time you do it, oh, you feel that I'm, that's, is the Holy Spirit convincing you that you should stop doing this thing? And everything that slaves you, everything that controls you is a sin. Eating can be a master over you. Drinking, smoking, pornography, all these things can be a master over you. But once you allow this thing to master you, it means that you are bound before them and worshiping these things. God wants to set you free. And we proclaim that God is sovereign and He's got power, He has power to deliver us from any of these things. In fact, the psalmist warns in Psalm 2, within a short time, the Lord wrath will rise. That's why we need to be wise and needs to be warned. When the day of God's judgment comes, no one can escape, as I said, because God's righteousness, He cannot allow the sinner to go unpunished. But we have a hope in Christ Jesus. Those who come to Christ, who confess Him as Lord and Savior of their lives, and have the Holy Spirit of God in them, as a hope every time we sin, we, we know. You know, and I just want to finish with the, with the, with the, uh, book of Revelation chapter 6 verse 16 to 17 and I'm going to put that for you they called to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it people want to die and death won't be found. Why? Because now has come the judgment of God. Let's pray, shall we? Thanks for listening. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. If you want more information about Camrose Baptist Church, visit our website, www camrosebc.org.uk Follow us on Instagram at Camrose Baptist Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel Camrose Baptist Church Edgeware